Thank you so much for joining us online. We want Bethany to be a place where people can get connected to God, to each other, and to the world. If you would like someone to talk to or to pray for you, you can email us at prayer at bethanysite.com. We also greatly appreciate everyone that gives so generously at Bethany. If you'd like to give, you can do so by clicking Give in the top right menu on our homepage at bethanysite.com. Again, thank you for joining us online. We hope that this service will be a blessing to you. Happy Easter! Easter. Oh, it's so good to see everyone. And if you're turning online, we just want to welcome you to our uh, uh, weekend services and uh, welcome to our Easter weekend. It's just so wonderful to see everyone. And if you would turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. And uh, as you're turning there, I just want to kind of uh, set the scene uh, for what I'm going to read to you. Uh, One of the things I love about Easter is I get to kind of cheerlead. So I get to tell you one of my favorite stories about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so uh, it's really kind of fun. That's what we're celebrating. If you're a Christian, that's what we're celebrating. If you're a pre-Christian, you know you're really interested in uh, what we're doing and and how we celebrate. Uh, One of the things I'm going to do is um, tell this story about having breakfast with Jesus. And I don't know if you've ever had any significant breakfast with someone important Uh, But it would be pretty cool to have breakfast with Jesus. So I'm going to tell that story, and I'm going to read the story, and then I'm going to tell the story. And then at the end of the message, we're going to give an invitation uh, for people to cross the bridge. And spoiler alert, uh, Jesus is the bridge, and he bridges us from uh, death to life. And he also bridges uh, for peace, and he's the reconciler. So let me set the scene. Uh, The uh, disciples are... Uh, going to go out fishing, and then Jesus is going to meet them uh, on the Sea of Galilee. He's going to meet them at the beach. Uh, I love the beach, so this is a great scene. They're going to have breakfast on the beach. Uh, Simon Peter, the number one uh, uh, disciple, has failed, and he has failed spectacularly. He's denied the Lord Jesus three times. Uh, he loves the Lord Jesus, but you know he has completely fallen down. And so uh, he, he needs to have the, the restoration, the reconciliation that Jesus can do. So that's really what the story is about, is the reconciliation of Peter. So I love this story uh, because I've failed in my life before, and so I, I just love this way that Jesus treats people. Uh, well, the other thing I wanted to tell you, it takes place in the Sea of Galilee, in case you don't know. I've been there a couple times, and it's 700 feet below sea level. So you can be out in the sun for a long time before you get a sunburn. Uh, it's really um, uh, probably very warm uh, at this time of year, uh, although we're having a very cool spring, so maybe they're having a cool spring in Israel. So uh, he um, uh, is at this lake. This lake is 64 square miles, which is roughly the size of Washington, D.C., So it's a pretty good lake. It's 141 feet deep. Uh, And so there's some really big fish that can come out of it. They caught one in 2015 that was over 75 pounds, which is a pretty good freshwater fish. You know, I've never caught a fish that big. Uh, I think the biggest one I've ever caught was 10 pounds, which was gigantic to me. So uh, let me read this story, and then I'll tell you about it. Starting with verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. 
And early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And he called them, called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. And he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. And the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not very far from the shore, about a hundred yards. And when they had landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore, and it was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And none of his disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. I don't know if you love this story, but I love the story. And then the reconciliation of Peter, I'll read a little bit later. But I just wanted to tell the story about having breakfast on the beach with Jesus. Uh, the disciples are going to go out fishing. Uh, they fish at night. Uh, this is a, a story that's familiar because they had an encounter with Christ in the beginning of his earthly ministry where they uh, came in uh, in the morning and Jesus asked to borrow their boat so he could preach to a crowd. And, and they had also gone a whole uh, night without catching anything. And Jesus had said, throw the net on the other side. And they pulled in all the fish. So this really uh, reverts back to what first happened and should be really a reminder. And so Simon Peter says, I'm going to go fishing. And all these people go uh, fishing. All the disciples go fishing with them. And, and they have a, a terrible night. They catch nothing. And for me, uh, fishing is catching. And and if I can't catch, I don't want to go. It's just not any fun. Uh, I love uh, crabbing off the dock with, with my grandkids because you always get something. You may not get a keeper, but you come up with five or six of them. They run all over. Your grandkids squeal with glee, and you've, you've had success, you know. And Elaine says, I don't even care if you don't even bring those stinky things home. But anyway, I, I, I love uh, uh, catching and not just fishing. So these guys are probably pretty discouraged. And as they're coming in, there's a man on the shore that they don't recognize, and it's the resurrected Lord. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he calls to them. Uh, he, he says, friends, haven't you any fish? Have you caught anything? And they say, no. And uh, he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul in the net because they caught so many. And then the disciple that says, you know, I'm the one that Jesus really loves is, uh, is John. He's the youngest. He's the writer here. So he doesn't put his name down, but he says, you know, I'm the one that Jesus really loved. And how many of us have felt like, you know, mom and dad really loved me. You know, I'm the more loved brother than my brother. And my brother says, no, no, I was the more loved one. And they say, well, dad really loved me. And he says, well, mom really loved me. So I don't know if you guys ever get into that, but John has a little bit of that. You know, he's the one that Jesus really loved. And, and uh, it's so uh, fascinating, he says to Peter, it's the Lord. You know, here's the resurrected. Now, Jesus has already appeared to him two times, and now it's the third time, and they're still struggling to comprehend what's going on. And uh, Simon Peter loves Jesus so much that he's been fishing in his underwear, so he puts his clothes on really quick, and he jumps in the water, and he just starts swimming to Jesus. He's just, he's almost like a puppy dog. He's so happy to see his master. He just goes racing to him. 
we have a couple dogs, and uh, one of them is named Obi. And both the dogs that we have were left by my son. He abandoned them, you know, and they were homeless, and they were left with us. And they moved to Hawaii, and we have these two dogs. And one of them is, like, one of the most unfriendly dogs you've ever seen. It's just uh, Franco is, is a miserable dog. And uh, uh, Obi is just this dog that when you come in, he just goes crazy, and he's so happy, and he runs all over the house, and he grabs a toy, and he wants to be loved, and he just can't get enough of you, and you're the greatest thing. And, and I always wonder, why doesn't my wife act like that when I come home? You know, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be wonderful to come home? And if you're a wife and you come home and your husband just goes crazy and goes bonkers, and it's wonderful to have a dog. And Peter has this kind of reaction. It's Jesus. It's the Lord, you know, and he, he jumps in the water. He can't wait to get there. And the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, is this wonderful, wonderful Savior. And they pull in all this fish, and they're huge fish. And someone in that group is, you know, someone who is uh, detailed-oriented, 153. So they counted them. The fish counts. So he counts the fish. And when they landed, they are uh, immediately met with this fire of burning coals, and there on it are fish and bread. Now, if you know the Gospels at all, there's this uh, story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 where he feeds 5,000 men. We don't have many women and children who are also there. So maybe as much as 10,000 people. And he takes this, this lunch from a little boy that has bread and fish, and he feeds 5,000. So immediately, there's, there's got to be bells going off in these guys' head. Everything that Jesus is doing is reminding them of the last three years they spent with him. And they come there, and then there's burning coals, and nothing, I mean nothing to me, is more wonderful smelling than a fire cooking food on the beach. It is so wonderful. If you ever camped on the beach or had a, a barbecue out on the beach, it is so wonderful. And there's these coals and then there's fish on it and bread. And for me, I'm not a fish guy, okay? So I, I like, like fish, you know, but this culture, it was fish. Now, if it was in my day and Jesus had breakfast with me, it would be bacon, and bread, okay? And so just imagine that if you're a bacon person, not a fish person, bacon. But these guys grew up on fish, so here's this wonderful, they've been fishing all night, you know they're hungry, and he tells them, go get the, another fish and let's put it on the fire. So they get some fish, and Jesus has this spectacular layout for them, and then he gives this invitation, come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples dare ask, who is it? Because they know it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus begins to feed them, he gives them bread. And he gives them fish, and it must have been just wonderful, even just gazing at Jesus and, and the invitation, come and have breakfast. Now, i got to tell you, I've had some wonderful breakfasts in my life, and uh, there are some significant breakfasts that I've had in my life that I've never forgot. I don't know if you've ever had significant breakfast with someone, uh, but I'm going to tell you a few of them. One of the most uh, significant breakfasts I ever had in my life was with my dad, when I was a little boy, and I love sports, and my dad does not, he's not a sportsman, doesn't like sports. Um, he has dyslexia. He had a Welsh grandmother that was superstitious that tried to make him go from being left-handed to right-hand, so he's really uncoordinated. Uh, but he got a couple tennis rackets, and we went to Chateau Park in Los Angeles. And uh, I, I went back there this last summer when we did my dad's funeral, and uh, the park is still there. The cedar deodoras are still there on this hill, and the tennis courts are still still there. And I remember my dad, who's not athletic, you know, hitting tennis balls to me. And my mom made boiled eggs and put them in a thermos. 
And we weren't that rich and we weren't that great, but my dad and I, after we played a little bit of tennis, and I know that was agony for him, but he was trying to be this dad to this athletic kid that loved to play. And then we had boiled eggs. And I can't remember what we talked about, but it was so significant and it said so much about how my dad loved me and our connection. Another uh, breakfast that was very significant, not that I went through, but my mom. I remember my mom telling this story several times. And my grandfather, Brown, that was her maiden name, um, her older brother, uh, only brother, was killed playing basketball when he was 16. And he had a broken neck. Uh, He was playing varsity. And um, he got spinal meningitis. And three days after the accident, he died. And uh, my grandmother... Basically, they would have hospitalized her in this day and age. She was like um, having a mental breakdown, and she was suicidal, and she was depressed, and she would not go to church. She was mad at God. And on Sundays, my grandfather, uh, and he had uh, five daughters, he would fix breakfast for his daughters, and uh, he would fix cake for them. And he would fix white cake or yellow cake, great big pan of cake, And then he would take homemade maple syrup because I've been to the the farm they had in Ohio. Up on the hills, they had a couple stands of maples. And he would tap the maples every year and he would make maple syrup. And he would take the cake and he would pour hot maple syrup on this cake. And then he'd make a thrasher of bacon. And he would feed his five girls. And then he would take them to church. And my mom, every time she told that story, would cry. It was a sad time. It was a discouraging time. But she remembers her dad loving her and her sisters. And it was significant breakfast. Another one for me is up in Bellingham when we had Evan. Uh, He came one week before I turned 40. And uh, it was really a surprise, you know. And all of a sudden, we're older parents. I mean, when we went to, you know, Lama's class, you know, it was really interesting. We went through the you know, the hospital tour, and, and there were some young people that were having a baby, and, and they said, oh, so cool that grandparents come to see their kids go through the thing, and my, my Elaine goes, we're not taking the class here, you know, so we, we paid someone privately to do it, and remember when we had him as a baby, you know, that first year, almost every Saturday morning, I would make thin pancakes, and Elaine would make homemade syrup, which is out of this world, and we'd make fried eggs and bacon, and as a family, we'd eat, and then we'd put on a sting a field of gold, you know, and I would dance with Evan, you know, and we would dance around the living room, and it was such a meaningful time for our family. And I cannot tell you how emotional this is breakfast with the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ saying to them, Come and have breakfast. Come have breakfast. And them sitting down and him feeding them. And the whole time they're eating and they probably started talking and there was probably some laughter and telling of stories. But at the whole time, there's an elephant in the room. There's the lead pastor who has failed. And he hasn't been restored. And there hasn't been the total reconciliation yet. And they get done eating and they get finished. And then picking up at verse 15. And this is about reconciliation. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, doesn't call him Peter, that's the nickname he gave him that means the rock, just calls him his old name, Simon, son of John, 
Do you love me more than these? The word that's used there is uh, agapio, which is um, agape. Uh, and it's the special love, the highest love. Do you agape me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But he uses the word phileo. I love you as a brother. I love you as a friend. And then Jesus says, feed my lambs. And then the second time, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love agapeo me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love phileo you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Now, I want you to know that he's going to do this a third time. And we know later on when I get to the reading it uh, that he has taken Peter away from the group. He's not embarrassing him in front of the other group. They're walking down the beach together, and he's talking to him privately. And he says a third time, verse 17, a third time, and this is significant because Peter denied him three times. And this is very significant that he keeps saying to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? But this time in saying the agape word, he uses phileo. Do you even love me as a brother, as a friend? And it says Peter was hurt. And the word that's used there for hurt is the idea of being distressed or grieved or in grief or in pain or sorrow. The heaviness, the heaviness of his failure, the heaviness of what he had done wrong, the heaviness of, of, of him you know, he had said so many times, I'll even die for you. I'll go to prison for you. I will do all this for you. And he totally failed. And Jesus says, do you love me? And he says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And then he begins to tell his future. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. And so he's basically saying, you are going to be martyred for me. You are going to be my number one disciple. But you've got to follow me. And then Peter turned, and then they're walking down the beach. He turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. And this is John. And when Jesus saw John, he asked, Lord, what about him? What about him? That's really human. You know, when things happen in our lives, we go, what about that person? Or what about this person? And the most important thing, Jesus is saying, I'm talking to you. And I'm not going to tell you someone else's. I'm going to tell you your story. You must follow me. Isn't that an awesome story? That's so awesome. Uh, I'm going to transition now to the bridge verse they want to give you. But I want you to know the rest of the story is Peter becomes the main preacher at Pentecost where 3,000 people come to Christ. And he becomes this strong and totally different disciple and he follows Jesus to the end of his life. It is the most wonderful story, but I want you to know that Jesus restores him, but not only restores him and forgives him, but he gives him ministry. He says, feed my sheep, tend my people, help the folks that are going to follow me. You are not just going to be forgiven. You are also going to be my disciple that's put to work. And many times I find people come to know Christ and then if they do something and they feel unworthy or even as they come to Christ, they just, well, maybe Jesus will forgive me but he'll never use me. I'll never be any worth because of how terrible I've lived or how rotten of things I've done or I'm just so inferior. 
But Jesus takes his disciple that denied him three times and restores him and has reconciliation. Let me give you my bridge verse. Very truly I tell you, John 5, 24, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Crossed over is this uh, bridge language, you know, and uh, bridges cross over gaps. Uh, if there's a valley or if there's a cliff that it needs to go from one cliff to the other cliff and there's this gap and in the very beginning when mankind fell and Adam and Eve, our great, great, great grandparents who sinned and were kicked out of the garden, uh, sin came into the world and there was this great fall and there needed to be a bridge between God and us and Jesus is the bridge and when he died on the cross and then um, paid for our sins, and then came out of the grave alive, he proved that he is the savior of the world. And the purpose of John's gospel is these things were written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that you might believe in him, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So today I'm gonna give an invitation, and I'm gonna give a threefold invitation. Threefold means I'm going to actually give you three prayers. Because there might be three different types of people sitting here. Okay, so I'm kind of like a shotgun invitation. I'm going to try to hit all of you, okay? So I hope you realize how wonderful Jesus is. That, uh, that verse that says, you know, whoever believes in him, has faith in him, will have eternal life and will not be judged. A lot of times we skip over that, will not be judged. And a lot of people are really worried about standing in the judgment of God. But I want you to know this is the good news. And so the first invitation I'm calling a resurrection gap prayer. That Jesus is that bridge. He's, that's the symbol of, of what we're going to be doing in a little bit. We're going to open up the bridge and you're going to cross it. And there might be a few people here who've never had an experience with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I have a prayer here for you to pray, if you've never asked Jesus in your life, that you would ask him to come into your life. And as I read this, if you've never asked Jesus in your life and you would like to find reconciliation with God, you invite Jesus into your life in the quiet of your heart. Let me read it out loud and then you can be saying it to yourself. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the only Savior and risen Lord. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins and being the bridge. I want you to come into my life at this moment. I want to follow you as best as I know how. I turn my life and will over to your care and control. Amen. If you did that, you've come into the kingdom of God. In a few minutes when we open the bridge, I encourage you to cross that bridge. It's just a, a symbol of you believing in Jesus. The second prayer is a restoration prayer. And this is for Christians who, for whatever reason, you know, you've just kind of like, maybe you've blown it like Peter. You know, you've gotten caught in a besetting uh, sin. Or maybe your, your spiritual life has just gotten dry like a desert. Or, or maybe, you know, the whole time with the COVID, you just, you just don't feel um, that closeness with the Lord. And you want to recommit your life to Jesus. And I have a restoration gap prayer that, you know, Jesus, you know, restores. In Revelations 3.20, it says, here I am. Jesus is saying, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in 
And that was written to a church where they had gotten lukewarm. And if you're feeling like your spiritual life is lukewarm, today, Easter, would be a great time for you to come and cross the bridge. Here's a prayer for you. Dear Lord Jesus, I want your restoration for my life. I recommit my life to you and give back control of my life to you. Forgive me of my sins. I do love you and I desire to follow you. Thank you for your forgiveness. Amen. The third one is what I would call a reconciliation gap prayer. And that is that Jesus is the bridge even in our relationships between each other. And if you're a Christian, and this, this prayer is mostly for Christians, but if you're a Christian and there's any gap in any relationship, in your family, in your marriage, with friends, someone at work, if there's a gap in any of the relationship, any dissonance in your life in those relationships, you can feel it. And many times, if you really listened to the Holy Spirit, you're, you're bugged by it, or he'll start bugging you about it. And many times, it's hard for us um, to take that first step for re reconciliation. But Jesus is the bridge, and we can ask him to help us to step out and help us be reconciled to one another. So I have this uh, reconciliation gap prayer, and it says, Dear Lord Jesus, you are the bridge in relationship gaps. I desire reconciliation in my relationships. Help me on my part to take the first step and reach out to restore the relationship. Help me to take responsibility for my part. Help me forgive from the heart. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you have any kind of gap in a relationship and you cross that bridge and you're going to take the first step, you ask for his power to take that first step and be the first one to reach your hand across and, and take the first step. And many times that's scary, but it's really trusting Jesus to go before you. And I would encourage you to call someone from the parking lot. Don't delay. Or next week, you know, set up maybe a coffee or a breakfast and meet with them and say, I listened to this short little squat guy talk at church and he talked about reconciliation and he talked about family, marriages, gaps in relationships with kids, teenagers. And I first thought of you and me. And I want to be the first to say, and if you've been at fault, say, I'm, I'm sorry for my part. If they have been at fault, you say, I want to see it restored. And I'm just trusting the Lord. If it's possible, you don't want to cause damage, but if it's possible, that you actually reach out and do that. So I'm going to open up the bridge in just a moment, but I want to pray for you. And would you stand? And uh, as I uh, pray for you, be thinking about coming forward. And then as soon as my prayer is over, we're going to go ahead and open the bridge. And you come forward and you can cross here. If you struggle with stairs, we also have a second bridge down on the floor that you can go. Um, but we really encourage you to come forward. Jesus, we just thank you for being the resurrected Lord and Savior. We love you. We love you. We love you. We love you like Peter jumping out of the boat. We love the idea of resurrection and life in heaven with you. 
We pray that you would do mighty work in our hearts. Let people that want to know you and people that want to be uh, recommitted to you and people who want to be re reconciled in relationship, let them come forward. Give them the courage. In Jesus' name, amen. The bridge is open. You can come forward.